Father, we do thank you that we can gather as a church family and celebrate communion, that we can look back and we can remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. Lord, we can remember that we have been washed as white as snow, and we can thank you for the sacrifice that you gave to make that possible. Lord, our sins have been forgiven, not because of our own goodness, not because of a work of the law, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, who gave himself up and died and bled for us. We thank you for that gift. And Father, as we are gathered together here today, we are going to be opening your word in a few minutes. And Father, I pray that as we open and read your word together, that you would enlighten us. Father, help us to see you in the, in the pages of your scriptures. Help us to draw closer to you. Help us to recognize areas in our lives, Lord, where, where we're falling short of conforming to the image of Christ. And Lord, may we allow your spirit to change us. Do a great work among us today, God, and help us, Father, to be dependent upon you in all areas. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I want to start off by introducing you to a little friend this morning. I'm going to put him up on the screen. And um, this little guy on the screen is called a bar-tailed godwit. Now, I'm having to emphasize the T on the end of that, godwit, because um, Jim and Christy Godwin thought I was talking about them in the first service. But this is our bar-tailed godwit. And this is a, um, it's a, a small bird that every spring these little birds are hatched and they begin their lives in northern Alaska. And then in the fall, they travel around 7,000 miles all the way to New Zealand. Now, to put that in perspective, from Yardley, Pennsylvania, from right here to London, England, is 3,500 miles. So if you don't want to do higher math this morning, that means these little birds would have to go over to London and back to make a 7,000-mile trip. And these little birds, when they're born, most of them, lots of them, have never made the trip before because they hatch in the, in the spring and they, in the fall, they make the journey all the way down to New Zealand. And these are land birds, <clears throat> so they don't know how they can't fish. They can't even rest on the water during that flight all the way across the Pacific Ocean, all the way to New Zealand. And one young godwit had been, they put a wire transmitter on his leg. And it turns out that that godwit traveled 7,369 miles in eight days without stopping. Could you imagine that? That is a bird that was on a mission. And then they navigate back six months later, all the way back up to Alaska, all this without a GPS. And wouldn't you love to have that kind of a homing device inside of you in your spiritual life to help keep you on focus directionally, to give you the endurance, and to be able to carry out such a task as these little bar-tailed godwits? I know I would love to have such a homing device for me in my relationship with Jesus Christ to keep me on focus. Today's our last week of five in our series on what we're calling our mission values of Riverstone Church. Now, a mission value, they're the biblical priorities for guiding the ministry of our church. And so far, we've done through four of them. I'm going to put them on the screen for a reminder. Here are the mission values. Um, we started out five weeks ago talking about dependent on the Spirit, then rooted in the Bible, centered on the gospel, devoted to one another, 
And now what we're talking about this morning is focused on the mission. I mentioned earlier that our little bobtailed Godwood friend was quite focused on the mission to be able to carry out what he carried out and to arrive there without any kind of GPS or anything. But we too have been given a mission. And our mission has been given to us by God himself. You hear this quite a bit around here. We say it because we want you to learn it. We want you to know it. And that is that our mission statement as a church is advancing the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. And we believe that it's God who has given us that mission. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, shouldn't we be as committed to the mission that God has given us as a bird that's making a migratory trip to a place like New Zealand. You see, Christ wants us to be focused on the mission. I'm going to put up a, um, a definition here of what we mean by saying focused on the mission. We believe that healthy disciples will make disciples. Every follower of Jesus is called by God to be a part of the church's mission of multiplying disciples. This means that our ministry efforts are aimed at equipping every Christian to proclaim and teach the gospel and to live out its implications in our own lives, our homes, our congregation, our community, our region, and around the world. Now, as you look at that statement, let's ask a question. Who is it, according to this definition, that's to carry out <clears throat> the ministry of Jesus Christ? <clears throat> It's all of us. It's not the pastors. <clears throat> Excuse me a moment. Just, it's been a rough winter, hasn't it? <clears throat> it's not the pastors. It's not just the elders. It's not just the missionaries that we send and support. It's not the 20% of the church who's supposed to do 80% of the work according to the statistics. Who is it? It says here, we believe that healthy disciples will make disciples. The next sentence Every follower of Jesus is called. And then we go down a little further and says this means that our ministry efforts are aimed at equipping every Christian. So according to this definition, if you profess to have faith in Jesus Christ, you are on a mission that God has given you to carry out his ministry in this world. It's for all of us together to be doing. See, being focused on the mission means that you are embracing the posture, the thinking, the behaviors, and the practices of a missionary in order to proclaim the gospel and share the gospel message with others. See, a missionary, by definition, is one who is sent. And every single one of us has been sent by God with a mission and a purpose to carry out. And God wants us to be living our lives as missionaries for Him in everything that we do. I want to just give us one caveat here, though. Our effectiveness in carrying out that mission begins with the depth of our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, if the same gospel that has been transforming the world for 2,000 years isn't first transforming your heart, your effectiveness in carrying out the mission that God has given you is going to be severely hindered. Not only that, if you're not consistently, day by day, being renewed by the gospel inwardly, then the outward ministry of yourself personally 
And then us corporately, in effect, is basically just going to be a, a man-made house of cards that's going to collapse. But when we individually are transformed by the gospel inwardly, and then we take that gospel message and share it outwardly, God's going to do incredible things through you. And then when we collectively gather together and serve God as a church, think about what our ministry is going to be like if we are focused on the mission as disciples of Jesus Christ, consistently being transformed in our inner lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's what God wants for us as a church. It's a wonderful thing for us to think about it as Riverstone Church. Well, I'm going to propose three things today that I think will help us to effectively stay focused on the mission that God has called us. The first one of those is to know your identity. Now, I'll even expand on that a little bit. We need to know our identity and then act accordingly and to act on what God shows us of who we are in Jesus Christ. Second, you know, actually, if, um, if the ushers have Bibles available, are the ushers ready? If you would go ahead and distribute the Bibles, if you'd like a Bible, we're going to look at a couple passages this morning. So just raise your hand and they'd be sure to get one to you. And again, if you, um, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take this home as a gift from us. And uh, while they're doing that, um, before we get into 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20, I do want to um, put a word of encouragement out there. Um, I walked out to the lobby between services, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but in the Woodside room this morning is something called Group Connect. And as we talk about, I mentioned here, us growing as individuals and go, growing corporately, such a key part of that is by growing in relationship with one another. Two weeks ago, well, actually it was last Sunday, Jeremy was preaching on a, of our mission value devoted to one another. And small groups are so critical to the health of our church, but more importantly, to you individually as well. See, God grows disciples in the midst of community with other disciples. So if you're here attending this church and you don't have a small group, Group Connect is here to help you find out what groups are available so that you can find out is there a place that you can fit to build relationships and become part of a small group and studying the Word together. After the service today, Group Connect will be going on in the Woodside Room, which is just right across the lobby over here on this level. I want to encourage you to check it out. It's something that will be really helpful for your growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But as we go on, I do want to turn our attention to Scripture. first one I want to look at is 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're going to come back and look at this chapter a little bit deeper later on, but I want to touch on verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Think about that. If anyone is in Christ, what it means to be in Christ means you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know Him as your Savior. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. What's it say? It says, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. See, what we're talking about here is a radical change, a radical transformation of a new identity. And I want to say that sadly, I think as, as Christians, I'm going to put Riverstone Church in this as well, very few of us look radically different from our old identity. 
Picture how this is talked about. We're going to look at another passage in Scripture today where it talks about the old has gone, the new has come. This is a radical transformation. And I think, unfortunately, way too many of us still look much more like our old selves than we, knew the, than we do the new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about that. Because I think for a lot of us, we are in Christ, we're saved, we have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, positionally we've been changed, but what ends up happening, but people around us too, too often have a hard time recognizing our new identity in Jesus Christ. As we move on, um, I want to look at, I mentioned a couple passages, turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at Colossians 3 verses 1 to 10, I'll put it on the screen. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory." Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. See, as believers, it says here, and I'm going to go back, I'll put it up on the screen, go back to verse 4. Um, it says here, um, right up here that it says, when, when in Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. The way this describes it, it's talking about such a radical change. It says, believers are to keep seeking the things that are above and not the things that are of this world. But how many of us put our focus, rather than on the mission of God, we put our focus on the things of this world? Let's think about it in terms of kingdoms. See, for, for the whatever number of years that you lived on this earth, before you knew Jesus Christ as Savior, you were part of the kingdom of this world. But when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, not only is your identity changed, but you now become kingdom of heaven. I mean, part of the kingdom of heaven. Your citizenship literally has moved from the kingdom of this world, sometimes it's called the kingdom of darkness, and now you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's a radical transformation. It's a radical shift. Your citizenship no longer is here. Your citizenship is now in heaven. I was with some pastors this past week. One of the pastors was sharing with me that his brother is a missionary in Pakistan. And he was um, in a gathering with a bunch of internationals, he and his wife. And as they were gathered together, um, Muslim militants just burst into the room with weapons, with the intent, intent that they were going to kill any Americans. And so they asked that everybody in the room pull out their passports to show it to them. Now, it turns out that this guy happened to have dual citizenship, 
Um, he had a, a British and an American passport. Um, guess which one he pulled out? Um, he quickly pulled out his British passport, and they let him go. His wife was an American citizen, so the only thing she had was an American passport. They thought for sure that she was going to die right then and there. She pulled out her American passport, she handed it to them, and because of her relationship to her husband, that her husband was a British citizen, they let her live. Now, they gave all the passports back. She was the only American in the gathering. They kept hers and stole it and left the room. But you see, her passport identified her with the United States of America. So in the eyes of those militants, she was a citizen of this country. See, when we go and we go out into our neighborhoods, we go out to our schools, we go out to our places of work, see, your citizenship is no longer primarily the United States of America. Yes, we are citizens of this country, but your primary citizenship as a believer in Jesus Christ is heaven. And when you are out in the world, you are a representative of the kingdom that you now are a citizen of. See, our primary identity is now associated with Jesus Christ. No longer is our primary identity our own when we have been transformed as we see here. And it just says, therefore, you've been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, we've radically been changed. It goes on, if you look at this um, passage in verse 4, it says, when Christ, who is our life, as we look at this, he didn't just say Christ was added to your life. It says that Jesus Christ is your life. It's not like you are all these things and now you just add Jesus to them. It says here that Jesus Christ, when you trust him, he has become your life. There's a real difference there. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, because of this, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body. Okay, remember, that's not us anymore. Our earthly body is now behind. Consider them dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. See, these are the things of the earth. And what he's telling us is, is put those behind you. That is not who you are anymore. This is who you are. You're now in Christ. And by the way, idolatry there, when it says, it's loving anything more than you love God. See, when you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, God needs to be your primary focus. There's nothing that should take the place in your heart that belongs to God. It's a hard thing to do, though. I will say that. We're going to touch on that a little bit more. But now, as we look at this in verse 10, it goes on to say in verse 10, and having put on the new self. Notice that's past tense. It says, you've already done this. This is written to believers. Having put on the new self. It's assuming that as a believer in Jesus Christ, which is true, if you're a believer, you've already put on the new self. It's not like this new self is a sweater that we have to wake up in the morning thinking, hmm, should I put that on today or not? You see, when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you are already that new self. Positionally, we've already been changed. But it goes on and it says, though, 
who is being renewed to a true knowledge. It seems like there's this ongoing sense to it as well. So positionally, I've been changed, but there's this ongoing sense in which I need to make a daily choice to be renewed each and every day. See, that's sanctification. That's discipleship. That's conforming to the image of Jesus Christ so that more and more I positionally have been changed and I am the new person in Christ, but I have to grow day by day as a disciple of Jesus Christ so that I look more and more like Jesus Christ the longer I live the Christian life. See, that's what we have here as we talk about this new identity that we have. Along with our identities changing, we've been clearly given a new mission. I touched on that already in the beginning. Our mission, obviously advancing the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. And what I'm going to say is that sadly, as I look around this room and we gather this many people in the same room, we're all sinners. When we gather together, I'm confident I can say is that I'm sure every one of us has taken detours in the pursuit of that mission. And sadly, many of those detours have, have created scars and pains and wounds. See, sin is ugly. And we are still in this world drawn to sin. And as we start pursuing things other than the mission that God has called us to, what ends up happening is this emptiness in our heart can only be filled by Jesus Christ. And yet we have a relationship. We are that new person in Jesus Christ, but we continue to take these detours where we start to try to fill that emptiness in our life with something other than Jesus Christ. And it causes repeated pain and disappointment and trial until we finally set our eyes back upon Jesus Christ. You know, as we think about it as well, I am sure that today that many of the people in this room are presently on one of those detours. It's, it's something that we keep going back to. Something other than Jesus Christ has hold of your heart. Think about it. Where does your mind go when you're alone, when there's nothing going on around? Does your mind automatically go to the thoughts of God? Or is there something else that has a hold on your heart that's drawing your attention away? Rather than pursuing the mission of Jesus Christ, you're pursuing your own mission. Something other than Christ has a hold of your heart. Maybe it's success, maybe it's popularity at school, maybe it's wealth, maybe it's pleasure. It could be any number of things, but something other than Jesus Christ has a hold on your heart and detoured you from the mission that God has given to each of us as believers in Jesus Christ. And rather than looking like the new person you are in Christ, you look no different than every other neighbor on your street, every other student at school, every other coworker in the office. You see, we become distracted and we take these detours. If somebody were to ask you the simple question, tell me about yourself. Is your identity in Jesus Christ the first thing that comes to your mind? Or is it your career, who you are at work? Is it being a parent? Is it being married or that new relationship that you're in? Is it the degrees that you have attained or is it your political affiliation? Maybe it's your military service or it's your allegiance to your favorite football team. What is it when somebody says, tell me about yourself? What is the first thing that comes to your mind? 
Is it your identity in Jesus Christ? And I think sadly, so many of us as Christians would be known by the outside world for something other than Jesus. See, getting off of the detours that we get onto begins with heart change. It begins with allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done on that cross, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. It's allowing the gospel to transform our hearts, to reset our focus. See, what ends up happening, folks, is you pursue what you love. You begin to look like what you love. And when Christ is the object of your heart's desire, his mission becomes your mission. And this is where it all starts if we want to be effective at carrying out the mission. See, when Christ is the object of your heart's desire, your perspective changes. This brings us to the second thing I'd like to suggest that we can do if we want to stay on focus on the mission. And that's to clarify your perspective. What do I mean by that? Well, another way of saying clarify your perspective would be to say, to see people as Jesus sees them. As we um, talk about that, I want to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. I'll put it on the screen. Paul's writing this. He's writing this to the church in Thessalonica. And Paul says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. So now Paul's writing this to the believers in the church in Thessalonica. So it's being written to Christians. And Paul's prayer, this is a prayer. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. So what Paul's praying is that for the Christians in the church, that their love for other believers, for the body, is going to grow. So things like unity in the church are, gain, are growing. There's, Paul's like, this is kind of like the one another's. Pray for one another, love one another, encourage one another. See, Paul's praying that the, that the Thessalonican church would experience this kind of love, but then he goes on and says, and for all people. See, now Paul's opening it up. He's saying is, as your love for one another is growing, may your love for those outside of the church grow as well. I think that's so critical for us at Riverstone Church. We want our love for one another to grow. See what ends up happening? When we start to love one another that way, the outside world looks at it. And believe me, it is attractive to the outside world because people don't live like this. And when they see the church loving one another, and then they see our love flowing over so that our love starts to go out beyond our own church into the world, and we start loving our neighbors this way, then, then the world starts to take notice. See, I want to um, show you that Jesus Christ displayed this kind of love for people in the Gospels, in his own ministry, but then we also see in other New Testament books that other disciples, apostles, displayed this kind of Jesus' love outwardly to other people as well. I'm going to take a look at a couple examples. Matthew 9.36, and this is in the Gospels, this is talking about Jesus. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Picture Jesus looking out. If you want to change your perspective, you want to see people the way Jesus sees them. Look at the compassion of Christ. We see in Mark 6.34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd 
And he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, I'm going to touch on this in a moment and talk about some examples. But let me ask you, when's the last time that you went to the mall on Black Friday and saw the large crowd and felt compassion on them? <laughs> Acts 17, 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Now, this is not as much a heart for the people, but you see what, what Paul's showing here? Paul's going outside of the church, he's going into the world, and as he looks at what's going on in Athens, his heart is breaking. It says his spirit was being provoked within him when he saw the city full of idols. Remember my definition of an idol? It's loving something else more than you love God. See, when Paul saw what was taking place, his heart was provoked within him, his spirit. See, that's how Jesus wants us to view other people. When you leave your house and you drive through the neighborhoods around your house and the communities around there, do you have this kind of compassion for people that, who don't know Jesus Christ? I mentioned the mall. How about do the crowds of people at the grocery store become annoyances to you? Do your challenging coworkers, and I'm sure you have them, do they become the enemy? Here's, here's one that will convict me. Do the other drivers on the turnpike become imbeciles? Sometimes I think they do, but that's, that's another point. But think about it. Do you avoid that obnoxious neighbor because he's just so obnoxious? See, when we start seeing people as pains and pests, we stop seeing them the way Jesus sees them. I guarantee you, when Jesus looked out upon those crowds of people, he was looking out at crowds of sinners. He was looking at people that would one day reject him and turn their hearts against him. He knew the wickedness of their hearts. But when Jesus saw the crowds, it said he had compassion on them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Folks, that's how we need to start seeing the people around us. That's how we need to start seeing the people around the world, as sheep without a shepherd. You know, corporately, we're beginning a new church plant in Trenton. Just recently, we've been the, we're in the process of adding a new campus down in Edgeley, right next to Bristol. And our hopes are to be planning a church there within about the next three years' time frame or so. But let me ask you a question. Here we are as a church actively taking these steps of faith to reach Trenton, down the road to start to reach an area down there in the Bristol area. Have you prayed for the people in these communities yet? See, it's something I think as a leadership we need to do a better job of is really promoting prayer for these communities. We're not planting churches so we can say, oh, Riverstone Church planted a church. We're planting these churches because we want to take the gospel message of Jesus Christ out into a broken world where there are sheep without a shepherd so people can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the foundational elements of effective church planting is for our church to be praying. See, we don't even know the faces yet. We can't put names to it yet, but God can. Who are those people that we're going to reach with the gospel when these new churches start? See, not only do we, not want, we, do we want to have a passion for those areas, but how about our own communities and our own neighborhoods? What has your prayer been like for the communities right around here, for Yardley, for Newtown, for Langhorn, for all of the areas around here? See, so look around. Are there any empty chairs in the room? 
Would you like to see one of your neighbors, coworkers, friends sitting in one of those chairs as a worshiper of God? See, that's what we have to be doing. We have to see the world as Jesus sees it. I want to encourage all of us as we enter into this new exciting time as a church where we're entering into church multiplication, be a prayer warrior with us and be praying for the people of these communities. I think it's going to be an exciting time for us. And as we look at our communities in the world and we start seeing them with Jesus' eyes, we're going to see the brokenness that's out there and hopefully it'll move us to prayer and action. But I think the biggest obstacle for our doing and seeing as Jesus did is that our gaze is too often fixed on self. See, we're thinking way too much about our own comfort, our own success, our own pleasure, and it takes, it's taken priority over God's mission in our lives. My prayer is that God will give us the eyes to see and the compassion of Jesus Christ. This brings us to our third thing I'd like to share with us to help us better focus on the mission, and that is to live with intention. Think about this. What missionary goes overseas to a foreign city, finds a place to live, finds a house, finds an apartment, learns the language, learns how to do things like shopping at the grocery store, getting his kids and her kids into, into school in a foreign community, find a source of income, and then just starts to kick back and enjoying life and never building a relationship with any of the locals in that foreign area. See, if we were to look at a missionary who did something like that, we would say, that's not a missionary, that's a resident. And I think that's what we lack here in our church as well. Too many of us are living as residents and not as missionaries. See, if we're focused on the mission, we're not living as residents in the community that we live in, but we're living as missionaries sent by God because this is not our primary citizenship. We are citizens of the King. We are citizens of heaven on mission, being sent by God to take the gospel into the communities and into the relationships that God has already given us, whether it's work or school or home or wherever it may be. And as we start to live with that kind of intention, that's when our focus on the mission begins to grow. You know, there's so many different passages we could look at when I talk about um, God giving us a mission. I could go to uh, Matthew chapter 28 and see the Great Commission. I could go to Acts 1.8. There's many ones I could look at. I just want to go back, though, and look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. And we see here, talking about the mission that God has given us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. We've heard this. I opened the sermon with this. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
Earlier, I talked about verse 17, and we saw that we have a new identity. We've been a completely new creature through our salvation with Jesus Christ. But verse, verse 18 now goes on to say that we have been reconciled. It says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. See, when it means that we've been reconciled, it means that we had a broken relationship with God. Our sin broke our relationship with God. And Jesus Christ came to this earth and died so that we could have a right relationship with God. That's what it means. To be reconciled means to be made right, to be in a right relationship with. You see, our sins as believers have been forgiven, and now we're in a right relationship with God. But it doesn't stop there. And it says here, it says, okay, we've been reconciled to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, what he's basically saying here is, you have been made right with God, but God has now given you this ministry of reconciliation so that you will take it out to the world so that others who are sheep without a shepherd can be brought into the fold. Their sins can be forgiven. They can be reconciled to God. See, God could have done it himself, but he chose to use you. He reconciled you, and now he's given you this mission. And I want to encourage all of us to live with such intentionality. See, disciples are simply forgiven followers of Jesus Christ. And God is going about reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting sins against people. And as verse 20 goes on at the end, and it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Remember I talked about citizenship? See, we're no longer of this world. What's an ambassador do? An ambassador gives up his rights, he gives up his privileges, because he now represents whoever it is that he's working for. So if you were an ambassador to the United States of America, whatever you spoke in that foreign land would be what America is now saying. But here's Jesus Christ. He has reconciled you. You're no longer of this world. And he's calling you his ambassador so that when you go out beyond this church and people see you and people hear you, you are representing Jesus Christ. What an awesome responsibility. What an awesome privilege that is. Now, nobody just happens to fall into evangelistic faithfulness. Nothing does happen, does it? See, we have to be intentional. If we want to be faithful in evangelism, we have to live our lives intentionally, and that's what we mean by being focused on the mission. When you think about missions, do you think about a missions trip to another culture for a week, or maybe you're going to go to Holland, or you're going to go to, to Lebanon, and you're going to go on a one-week missions trip, or do you think about maybe going down into the city and doing a morning you know, food project in the city? See, so many of us think about missions in those terms. But what about thinking of it in terms of the people in your sphere of influence that you already have a relationship with? See, that's what it means to be a missions mindset. God has sent you to represent Jesus Christ in all of the relationships that you already have in your life. That's what it means to be focused on the mission. When you hear the phrase, make disciples, do you think of a classroom context where people come in and they attend a class so that disciples can be made? 
Or do you think of it in terms of the relationships that God already has you in beyond the walls of this church? See, that's where God wants to make disciples. He wants to make disciples here, but He wants to make disciples out there as well. And that's what God's called us to, to be faithful. Let me ask you that. Well, here's another thing to say as well. Um, You know, each of us, if we want to be intentional, we need to be equipped. If you want to learn a new language, you have to immerse yourself in that language. You have to learn it and immerse yourself in it every single day. It's the same thing. If you want to become fluent in the gospel, first thing you have to do is familiarize yourself with the gospel message But then you need to immerse yourself in the gospel and rehearse the truths of the gospel every single day if you want to be fluent in the gospel. What does it look like for you as a believer in Jesus Christ if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with greed, if you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with wanting success, whatever it might be, what does it look like for you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and apply it to those areas of your life. See, that's what gospel fluency is all about. It's knowing how to take the gospel and apply it to my life. But then it also means when you have relationships out in the world and you hear somebody talking to you, a coworker talking about a broken marriage relationship or a son or daughter on drugs or a depression or whatever it may be, are you able to take the truths of God's word and apply it to their lives in a helpful way. See, that's gospel fluency. And I'm building up to something here as well because we're hoping to help equip our people. Next Tuesday night, not this week, but the following week, if you're not in a small group, we have a a course starting up called Gospel Fluency. The purpose of it is, is to equip our people to speak the gospel into their own lives, but then into the world as well. So on Tuesday nights, it's being offered. It's for men and women at 7 o'clock. And then on Wednesday morning, it's being offered for women, just for women as well. But I would encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, if you say, you know what, I would like to be equipped to be gospel fluent, consider coming out. It's a great opportunity of equipping that we're offering as a church. And I began this message sharing about this little bird, the the, the bark-tailed godwit who flew over 7,000 miles without stopping. That is focus and a mission for that little bird. Picture that bird, man. If he gives up, he dies. But see, as a church, we're moving into church multiplication. I was this past week, um, the Evangelical Free Church of America, which is what we're part of, in past years, when they were training and equipping and assessing church planters, relied on an outside network, the Acts 29 network, to do the assessments. But just this year, they made the decision to start offering our own assessment ministry for church planting. And I was asked to be part of the, the Eastern District from Virginia to New York, the assessment team of assessing new church planters. And I was in Staten Island this week doing that, assessing new church planters, um, couples, young couples, It was a lot of fun, had a great time doing it. But one of the guys who came in from the national office who attended our first one made this observation. He said, in in America right now, he said, when it comes to church planting, that for church plants, on average, they baptize 10 people for every 100 people in attendance. And he said, established churches 15 years or older, on average, baptize two people for every 100 in attendance. Church plants 10, established churches 2. 
You might ask yourself, why is that? Well, part of it is that as we get bigger, our ministries become bigger. There's more children, there's more ministries, there's more effort to make things happen, to make things run, to pull off Sunday school, to pull off big events, to keep the machine running. But when you're a church plant, you're so focused on the lost that you're out there sharing the gospel with a passion. And you see, folks, that is something that we as Riverstone Church need to avoid. We don't want to be that established church that gets stuck focusing inwardly. We want to be a church that's so passionate about the gospel that we are proclaiming it beyond the walls of our church regularly. And also, one other statistic they gave, they said that every year in the United States, 3,500 churches close their doors. And they said 4,000 churches are planted every year. So you might think, great, that's plus 500. But of those 4,000 church plants, only 65% of them make it to year four because they fail. That's 1,000, if you do the math, that's 1,000 churches declining per year. Now picture, if churches didn't plant churches, we'd have 3,500 churches closing in America every year without new ones starting. So as Riverstone Church, what we're saying is we want to be part of that, of starting up Bible-teaching, gospel-centered churches and helping struggling churches get better, to revitalize dying churches. See, that's something that we're stepping into. So I want to encourage us. We want to focus on a mission as individuals where our people are going out, sharing the gospel as part of your everyday life. God's given you relationships and spheres of influence so that when you walk out of this today, you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as a missionary, as one sent, focused on the mission with the people God has placed in your life. So that we corporately can be a church where we are coming alongside of struggling churches and we're helping to plant new ones so that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the number of evangelical Bible-centered churches is not on the decline. We want to ask you to join us in that. That's what it means to be focused on the mission. So my prayer as we close this service is that you allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform your heart so much on the inside so that outward, you, outwardly, you are displaying the gospel through your life in all of the spheres that God has placed you. And with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to know you. Lord, as we saw today, we've been reconciled with you. We see the finished work of Jesus Christ that allowed us, has allowed us, Lord, to, to know you, to experience the forgiveness of sin, to be in a right relationship with you. But Father, we also recognize that the communities around us, that the world that we live in is filled with, with lost and hurting and broken people. Lord, you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. I pray, Father, that we as individuals and as a church can see people the way Jesus does. Father, help us to stop being so inwardly focused, to being so self-focused, Father, I pray for those of us who are on a detour right now where we're following our mission rather than yours. We're seeking the things that our heart desires rather than what your heart desires. Father, redirect us. Help us to be ever so faithful to you. Lord, we pray that we can't do this on our own. We can only do this through the power of your spirit. Strengthen us, Lord, 
and help us to be focused on the mission that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.